Well, good morning. Glad to see you all in the Lord's house today. This race day weekend, Memorial, the Oklahoma City Memorial Marathon. Glad to have you here. Before we get started, let's pray. God, you are so good. Lord, thank you that we get to be a part of what you are doing. God, you're always working on our behalf. You're always changing lives. And we just lift up Michelle and her work. God, may we be a part of that. And then, Lord, as Pastor Rodney prays over us every week, I pray now that you would give us ears to hear what your Spirit is saying. That you would give us the faith to believe what your Spirit is saying and the courage to obey what your Spirit is saying. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like for you to just take a few minutes and think about how certain events, different things happen in life that cause a response in you. Maybe you get some information, you change direction, you decide to do something differently. And sometimes things happen that we draws an emotional response out of us. You know, like even, even driving, like, if, you know, when I get cut off, I have an emotional response. You know, it's not always a positive thing when I'm driving. Well, what about if you like put on a, a jacket or some pants and, and you find a $20 bill? I like that emotional response. One time I was digging in a suitcase and I found a hundred dollar bill that I had left there at Christmas time. It was awesome. You know, I could be in my closet at our house, back in this part of the house where I cannot hear the garage door open and someone will come into the house and sneak into my closet and creep up behind me. And it evokes a strong emotional response out of me. And I keep telling him, I'm going to punch you. Because it hurts me. Like, I feel it emotionally, but it hurts my heart. Like, it hurts my body to be scared that bad. How about you? Can you think of something that happens in your life that causes an emotional response that you actually feel in your body? Like, sometimes you get great news and it, like, puts a spring in your step. Makes you feel like dancing. Sometimes you get bad news, makes you feel physically ill. You get a pit in your stomach. You feel you're going to collapse into that pit. What I'm, the point I'm trying to make is that when something big happens to you, you respond. I had something really big happen to me recently. It's awesome. I became a grandma. This little tiny wrinkled human being came into our world Oh, you talk about the response. I didn't have to manufacture it. I didn't have to generate this feeling, work it up. It is a gift. It is new life. Anybody interested in seeing the photo of the week? (laughs) Rodney Gideon, are you sure you want any? I mean, I don't want to force it on you. But if you insist. Okay, let's look at it. Oh, My heart, that's my love right there. He's so precious. You know, other grandparents have been telling me about this. They've been preparing me. They were telling me how wonderful it was going to be. But I just couldn't know until I experienced it myself. And it's a lot like becoming a parent for the first time. Like, you don't know what you're getting into. (laughs) No, but when I saw my son Gavin, I wasn't prepared for that overwhelming love I was going to have for this crying, scrawny, dependent being. But I loved him so much. You know, I feel like as a follower of Christ, experiencing the love of Christ is very similar. 
Other people can tell you about it and you can hear other people's stories. But until you experience the love of Christ yourself, you don't have a response to give him. You know, I've been a Christian for a long time. So over the years, I've experienced his love and his grace in different ways. You know, there's been so many times that I've felt the peace and the security of having my sins forgiven and my life redeemed. I know his great love and it evokes a deep response within me. And like my other human relationships, my love for Jesus grows as our relationship grows and we experience things together. Even like this new grandma thing. I'm like, I praise you, God. I thank you. I cannot help but thank him for the gift of this baby. And you know, when I think about Pastor Rodney, my love for him has grown and developed. I love him more now than I did 27 years ago. And you know, in the beginning, like other relationships of infatuation, you have those emotional responses, you know, where you see that person and your heart does a a flip-flop. You know, the first time he touched my hand and I, I stopped breathing. You know, I love those emotional responses, but our relationship has grown and developed a lot deeper than that. We've gone through different things. I've experienced his grace, his forgiveness. He's provided for me. He's cared for me. I have a deeper love for him than I did 27 years ago. And I'm giving that illustration to remind you that only love can summon a response of love. I read that recently in a book by Philip Yancey. And I want you to look at this quote by Philip Yancey. Although power can force obedience, only love can summon a response of love which is the one thing God wants from us and the reason he created us. Love cannot be commanded. It cannot be demanded. It has to be chosen. We all have the freedom to love or not to love. It is our choice. God does not force us to love him. He loves us extravagantly and he waits patiently for us to respond to his love. Let's read our text for today. It's from 1 John chapter four in the New Living Translation. It says, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. Have you experienced his perfect love? You know, as we get to know him better, as we grow in our understanding of who he is, of who we are, of what he has done for us, our love for him grows and we respond to him. Karl Barth said, grace always demands the answer of gratitude. Grace follows, sorry, gratitude follows grace as thunder follows lightning. They have to come together. When you experience his grace, you will respond with gratitude. So how do you get to the place that you can see the reality of God's love and his grace in your life? 
How do you experience that? I have another quote for you from Eugene Peterson. He says, people submerged in a culture swarming with lies and malice feel as if they are drowning in it. They can trust nothing they hear, depend on no one they meet. Have you ever gone through a season like that? Where you feel like you can't trust anyone, can't depend on anyone? Such dissatisfaction with the world as it is, is preparation for traveling in the way of Christian discipleship. The dissatisfaction coupled with a longing for peace and truth can set us on a pilgrim path of wholeness in God. I hope you have that longing for peace and truth that he mentioned. A person has to get fed up with the ways of the world before he, before she, acquires an appetite for the world of grace. You know, to be in the world is to be looking out for number one. It's to be keeping up with the Joneses, to indulge your own feelings and selfish desires and to fight and to claw to get what you want. And sometimes it takes a very long time for us to get fed up with those ways of the world and to honestly see our need for the love and grace of God. But when we finally do, those people who turn their backs on the ways of the world and choose to recognize that they cannot be their own God, that there is no peace apart from Christ, those people are called Christians. And the Christian life is a step-by-step journey of surrender to the Lordship of Christ. It is growing in the knowledge of his love and power along with the reality of who we are in our sinful human nature and the corruption of the world because of sin. So I wanna ask you, where are you on your journey of surrender to Christ? Are you fed up with the ways of the world or do you still try to compete and survive in the ways of the world? Today, we're contemplating the audacious prayer, Father, use me. But before we can get to the place where we can wholeheartedly pray, Father, use me, as a response of love for him, we have to encounter his amazing love and his grace toward us. The prayer, use me, is a response of love to his great love. It is not out of duty, not out of obligation, nor a prayer of ambition. It is a response to experiencing his great love. You know, we don't pray, Father, use me so I can pay my way and earn my ticket into heaven. You do this for me, I'll do that for you. That's not how God works. We don't pray, Father, use me. And and by the way, Lord, like, you know, my sensitivities, you know, what I can handle and what I really can't handle. We don't negotiate with him. When you experience his love, when I've experienced his love, when I know the depth of what he's done for me, I'm like, father, what can I hold back from you? You own my heart. You've given me life. You've given me hope. You've given me purpose. Let me Respond to you, God, in love. Use me. You know, the Apostle Paul experienced God's great love and his grace and his mercy as that light shone from heaven and knocked him off his horse and he fell to the ground. And he communicates his response to the love and grace of Christ in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Let's look at verse 15 and 16. This is Paul speaking. He says, this is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. 
Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me. He saw God's mercy and he said, so Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Ooh, who wants to sign up for that? God asks us to do hard things. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. You know, last week's message, the Easter message was such a great service. I love that message. And you heard, if you were here, the testimonies of Zach and Kayla and James, they were sharing their stories of gratitude for what God has done in their life. Pastor Rodney talked about the love of Jesus, his power, how he has all power in heaven on earth. And he didn't use his power for his own benefit, but he used his power, if you can remember, to love, to forgive, and to resurrect. So when we experience the love of Christ and we pray, Father, use me, how do you think he wants to use us? How about to love and to forgive and to share life. He may give you the power to resurrect someone, but he wants us to share the resurrection life that he has given us. So let's look at number one, to love as he loved. Because when we experience his love, we're gonna respond in love. The way we treat others is no longer simply a reaction to their behavior. The way we treat others is a learned response in relation to God and who he is. You know, Jesus did not die for us based on our personal merit. He died for us because that's what God asked him to do to save us. Jesus is the physical representation of the love of God sent to take away our sin. And let's look at what he said in John chapter 13, verse 34. He said, so now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you, you should love each other. You know, love is a defining characteristic of the follower of Christ. Christians are not defined by following a certain list of rules. People who follow a list of rules, um, judging all the time, looking down on people who are wrong or are trapped and suffering in their sin, That is called moralistic. That is not called Christian. When Jesus saw people suffering in their sin and in their pain, he did not look down on them. He had compassion for them and was moved. Just as he loved us in our sin, loved me in my sin enough to die on the cross for me. So as a Jesus follower to be Christ-like, when we see people suffering in their pain, We want to respond with compassion and with the love of Christ. Matthew chapter 22, again, Jesus tells us he was questioned by a Pharisee. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. I don't have memorized. Okay. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. He said, love, this is the first and greatest commandment, love God. And the second is like it. 
Love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the great commands to love. And you know, the New Testament is full of instructions on how love works. There's so many ways. It's the finer points, the how-tos to love as Jesus loved throughout the New Testament. Can you think of a verse maybe you memorized in the past that has something to do with how to treat one another? There's so many commands in the New Testament on how to love, how to love like Jesus. Let's look at this list. Ephesians 5.21 tells us to submit to one another. 1 Peter 5.5 says show humility toward one another. Jesus in John chapter 13 told us to wash one another's feet. Romans 12.10 says be devoted to one another in love. 2 Corinthians 13.11 says encourage one another. Hebrews 10.24 says spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Romans 15.7, accept one another. Ephesians 4.2, bear with one another. And Romans 16.16, greet one another with a holy kiss. That was supposed to be funny. The kisser back there, Leo, he said amen. I meant that to be funny. You can give someone a holy high five. How about that? A holy hug. And if you want to be like Leo, you can give him a holy kiss. But we are instructed to love. And the New Testament teaches us how to love as Jesus loved. Number two, if he's going to use us, we're going to have to forgive as he has forgiven. Here is another one another verse in Colossians chapter three in the New Living Translation. It says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. You know, when I talked about number one, to love as he loved, that's the outward reflection of what God has done in your life when you love others genuinely. Number two, to forgive is the inward work of a Christian. It's evaluating and managing your own heart, the inside, who you are on the inside. Forgiveness is not easy. Sometimes it's bitterly painful and so difficult But when we choose forgiveness, it's a choice to respond to God's love through obedience. When we choose to forgive, we're showing our faith and belief in a God who loves us and is working all things, even the painful, hurtful, bitterly disappointing things for our good. You know, forgiveness is an inward work. It's in humility to build your internal character. You know, so many times it's so much easier to work on our external that people see, get a new haircut, pick out your clothes, get a new title at work, get a new car, have your list of possessions, the external that people can see and evaluate and judge. But what's going on on the inside? A heart that makes a habit of choosing to not forgive and to hold on to grudges, what does that look like on the inside? Can you take the time to think about that, to evaluate your own heart? Am I honest with myself about the condition of my heart? Am I holding on to bitterness and isolating myself from those who have hurt me? You know, it's so easy to get offended. I don't think there's much easier. Satan's always working at it. Our pride gets bruised so easily. We feel left out or ignored. 
And Satan is always working to lie to you, to get you offended, to get you to isolate yourself. And unforgiveness causes us to disconnect from others. And that's exactly what Satan wants us to do. He wants us to be alone and isolated. But forgiveness is so powerful. Forgiveness can bring resurrection to a relationship. Bring life. If you choose unforgiveness, it's going to bring death to that relationship and eventually death to yourself. But when you choose to forgive, you resurrect life. Life in yourself and life in others. And that leads me to number three. We're called to share life as Jesus shared life. How do we do that? How do we share life as he shared life? I think we do that by teaching others to love as he loved and to forgive as he has forgiven. We learn from other people to love as he loved and to forgive as he has forgiven. He tells us in Matthew 28, the great commission in the last chapter, it says, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He tells us to make disciples, to teach them. You know, making disciples takes time. Teaching people takes time. It takes building a relationship. And some of you may honestly be like me and think, I don't have time for one more person in my life. I understand that. Life is very busy. But I want you to think about Jesus. When he came to this earth in our human flesh, He had the same time constraints that we experience. He could not be intimate with everyone. He had a small circle of Peter, James, and John that he was truly intimate with, that they prayed with him in the garden. He also had his 12 disciples. He was intimate with them. He had good relationship with them, but they weren't the closest to him. He also took care of his family, his mother in particular. He obeyed her when he turned the water into wine at the feast. He also took care of her as he hung on the cross and he looked at John and he said, here's your mother and mother, here's your son. And John took her into his home and he took care of her. He took care of his family and he had his inner circle and he had his disciples and he also ministered to the multitudes. So think about your life, the people in your home. If you have children, those are your built in disciples It is your number one priority to teach them to love as he loved and to forgive as he has forgiven. That is your priority, the people in your home. But you also need that circle of three, your Peter, your James, your John, the people that you can be honest and open with, that you can discuss what's going on in your heart, in your relationship with God. You know, it's about intentionally moving past super politeness and shallow conversation and talk about what's really going on in your heart. Ephesians chapter four tells us, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. That verse says we grow and mature as we speak the truth in love. Who are you making time for to speak the truth of what's going on inside. You know, I think so many times as Christians, we just don't tell the whole truth. How are you doing? I'm fine. James tells us in chapter five, verse 16, it says, make this your common practice. 
What does common mean? Regular, often. Make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. Who wants to be whole and healed? Me? That means I gotta have my Peter, James, and John. I can't tell everybody my sins and pray with them. I've got to have those discipleship relationships that I can be honest with, that I can pray with, that I can confess my sins to, that I can share who I really am with. And those real relationships take time and you have to be patient to build those relationships because you have free will and others cannot create your discipleship relationships for you. It is your choice. You know, as a church staff, We're called to equip God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up according to Ephesians chapter four. And so that's why we have services. That's why we teach so you can learn. That's why we have small groups and we ask you to serve so that you can build relationships so you can come and serve and grow and find your Peter, James and John so you can develop those discipleship relationships. But no one can make that happen for you. You know, discipleship relationships have to be intentional and growth oriented. And in some ways, they're a lot like dating. No one can force it on you. You have a free will. You get to choose who you're going to love and who you're going to go deeper with. You know, we have some awesome young adults on staff and here in our church at North Church. And I have had awesome ideas for them to help them build relationships. And they choose not to listen to me. The most successful person around here in helping build relationships has been Pastor Clint. But you know, they have free will. They get to choose who they're going to love. They get to choose who they're going to have a deep relationship. No one else can make that choice for them. And no one else can make your discipleship relationship choices. It's on you You get to choose. You have the freedom to choose who you're going to love and who you're going to develop a relationship with. You know, God uses different people in different seasons of our lives in different ways to help us grow. We can always be learning from someone or teaching someone how to love and forgive in new and deeper ways. We can always be going up and to the right in how we love and how we forgive. And you know, sometimes... That looks like walking through a painful time with a friend as they learn to love and forgive through a heartbreak or a setback. You know, since this is the Oklahoma City Memorial Marathon weekend and we have our runners here, I thought this might be a good time to share a story with you of someone who intentionally loved me and mentored me in running. Now, when I use the term running, I use that very loosely, like more like jog walk, okay? (laughs) Not like real runner, so don't get the wrong impression. But I had a friend that asked to mentor me in running. You know, in our women's discipleship program, we say mentoring is friendship with goals. And those goals can be anything with a mentor. It can be to run, to cook, to parent, whatever. But we say discipleship is friendship with, with goals based on spiritual growth and spiritual discipline. That's what discipleship about is about. It's about being in a friendship and your goals are to grow spiritually. But I met Karen Davis several years ago. She and her husband, Mike, and their daughter, Karen, moved from out of state into Oklahoma so that Rachel could go to Oral Roberts University in Tulsa. 
Rachel was the only child of Mike and Karen, and she is such a beautiful follower of Christ. She and Karen ran races together. They served together. They actually created a ministry called Runners for Africa, where they would collect running shoes from people here in the States and take them to Africa and to these orphanages where they had no shoes. Beautiful followers of Christ. And so when they moved here to Oklahoma from out of state, you know, they didn't know anyone. They got involved in our church and we were at 7-Eleven South Kelly at this time. And I remember meeting Karen and she was so kind and gracious to me. And she introduced herself to me and she said, and by the way, she said, I'm a runner and I love to train people to run. She said, would you be interested in training with me to run? And I said, no, you know. Thanks anyway. I was like, I've really never been wanting to run and not now. And she's like, oh, you know, I love to teach people how to run. And fortunately for me, I was homeschooling all three of my kids at that time. So it really wouldn't fit in my schedule. And it was a great excuse. And so I was like, thanks, but no thanks. And you know, I've always had this personal deficiency when it comes to exercise. Like I really just can't do it alone. I need people to help me. When Rodney and I very first moved to Edmond and I didn't have any friends, you know, I, we started going to a new church and I made a couple friends and they all, they both worked out at the same gym. So I started going to the gym because I could put my kids in childcare and I could go talk for an hour and a half. It was awesome. I was, I mean, I was so consistent. I went to the gym like three times a week. Something happened to my body. It was weird. I kind of got in a little bit of a shape, but Rodney, sometimes he would call me, you know, on his way home from work and he would say like, Shane, do you want to meet at the gym? I would say, why? Like you and I have very different goals for going to the gym. He goes to work out. I go to talk. I'd be like, no, thanks. So back to my story with Karen. So I've been homeschooling, but then God delivered me and everybody went back to public school. And I'm kidding about that a little bit, but I decided I needed to work out. Like I had time on my hands again, you know, the new season, get to change my schedule. So I was like, I really need to be working out. And I was like, what am I going to do? And I, so I'm trying to reach all my friends and work something out because I know I can't go by myself. Well, nobody, I couldn't connect with anyone. None of our schedules were meshing where we could go work out together. And so I began to pray about it. I was like, Lord, you know, I, I really need to do this, maintain my health. Like, what do you want me to do? And he said, I want you to run with Karen. And I said, Lord, you know, I'm not really a runner. I'm a talker. You know, like, I don't, that's not my, it's not my thing. He said, no, I want you to run with Karen. <clears throat> so I called her and we started. We would run together two to three times a week. And you talk about a mentor. She took me to the shoe store, the running shoe store, where they measure your foot, they evaluate your gait. I mean, you try on all these shoes with your eyes closed so you can get the perfect running shoe. She bought me the shorts. She bought me the goo. She bought me a book on running. Like who knew you could learn so much about running? Before that, I thought you just like put your shoes on and go. No, she taught me so much. She invested so much into me. Through those times though, we became friends. She talked to me. She loved Jesus. She told me the truth of what was going on in her heart and her life. And we became dear friends. We spent a lot of time together and we were getting ready for our first half marathon at the Oklahoma City Memorial Race. And just a few weeks before the race, we got a phone call at our house on a Friday night. Rachel, Mike and Karen's only child, 
and a friend from Oral Roberts were traveling to Oklahoma City to be a part of an activity that our college students were doing that Friday night. And she and her friend were tragically killed in a head-on collision, killed instantly. Rodney was asked to come down and identify the body and then to call our friends and tell them that their only child, that my friend's running partner, her favorite person in the world, her grandkids, her future dreams had just been taken. It's the most tragic thing I've ever walked closely beside. They came home And Rodney and I, the elders of our church, some other friends in our church, were able to walk with them through the darkest night they'd ever experienced. And as I told you, they were new to Oklahoma. My friend Karen is a darling introvert. She had a small circle of intimate friends. And because I had spent so many hours with her jog walking, I was one of the closest. And I look back at that time And I think what would have happened if she had not been so intentional to get involved at our church, to build a relationship and invest in me. It was now my time to invest back into her. I sent her a text earlier this week to ask her for her permission to share her story today. Part of the response that she sent back to me said, out of 67 marathons in 28 states, the ones I did with you and Ray were my favorites. And I know God put you and me together at that time so you could get me across Rachel's finish. I can't wait to see Mike and Karen and Rachel reunited in heaven. I want to be there. I share this story with you because God knows what you need. This life is just a vapor. Rachel was only 19. You don't know what's coming. You don't know what tomorrow holds, but he does. And when he asks you to build relationships and to make disciples, it's not a burden. It's what you need. We all need relationships that are growing us spiritually, that we speak the truth to them. They they teach us to love as he loved, to forgive as he has forgiven, to grow and to share life together. Have you experienced his love? Are you choosing to love as he's loved? to forgive as he has forgiven? Have you experienced his great love so that you can respond to him in love and pray, Father, use me. Let's pray together. God, you are good. You are so good. Thank you, Lord, that your perfect love casts out all fear that your perfect love gives us the power to love as you love. 
you alone by your spirit. Give us the power to forgive as you have forgiven. God, I pray over your body, the hearts that are here this morning, Lord, that you challenge them, Lord, that you lift up their head, that they experience your love, that that you show them the people in their life that they, the Peter, the James, the John in their lives, that they are to invest in, that they're to build that discipleship relationship so they can go, grow and move up and to the right in their love and in their forgiveness, in sharing life, sharing the truth of who you are. Thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. Thank you for your great love and mercy. Lord, we agree together and we ask Father, use me. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the North Church Podcast. We hope that you have been encouraged and empowered by the Word of God. For more information about North Church, check out our website at north.church. There you can view more messages and join us for experiences live online. You can also subscribe to this podcast in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great week and remember to love God, love people, and follow Jesus.